I am Ben, a compulsive overeater, believe it. Just a qualify, I've been in program for over 25 years, and I have a six and a half years abstinence. Uh, my disease is compulsive overeating and bulimia. And um, I was thinking about this morning, what am I going to share about um, that I haven't shared before? And I guess I can just share my story. And my story is uh, I always loved food. Um, but like in elementary school, junior high, when it was called junior high, um, high school um, and college, I was always in great shape. You know, wasn't obese or anything like that. But um, when I started hitting my 20s, that's when the food started coming on. I didn't do anything different in my eating. It's just the body changed. And um, I remember what happened. What flipped my switch for compulsive overeating. Um, I was very lucky in the early 80s. I worked a lot as an actor, commercials, movies, and stuff. And I went from auditioning to um, the romantic lead. And when I started gaining weight, I started playing the best friend. Um, you know, who doesn't get the girl? But yet I seem to get more work that way. And so my dad's like, oh, you're going to be a starving actor, even though I was steadily employed for years. And when he said that to me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to starve. I better eat right now and so I don't starve. And, um, and then when that started taking a low, I uh, got into stand-up comedy and um, was gainfully employed for 15 years. Um, contract player at the comedy store. You can even, when you go there, you'll still see my name outside there. And um, what happened was um, I was a headliner, the last guy to go on. And, you know, I've headlined across the country, um, internationally, London, Bahamas, um, Vegas a dozen times. And I remember uh, this one time, my first time headlining in Vegas, um, it was at Bally's, and there you see uh, the Isley Brothers, then, and all you can eat spaghetti for $9.95. And the reason why I share that history with you is because that's when my disease went in full. Because as you know, as you know, you get a lot of free stuff. Um, they give you tons of food. I remember I had my own ballet. This great German guy looked like Benny Hill, the big mustache. And he goes, while you're here staying at the ballets, I'll be your, your personal confidant. Whatever you need, let me know. And, you know, I would call like 24-7. Can you bring me up lobster? Bring me up burgers, pizzas? I would just be binging, binging, binging. Why? Because it was free. And... Um, and there was no judgment. It was just me in my hotel suite and just eating. And I remember every time I would come back from a tour, and I would go on tour for three weeks out of a month. I'd only see my house for about one week of the month. So I was touring like a madman. And every time I would come back, my sister, she didn't say anything, but my sister and I were really tight. We're like best of friends. And I remember one day she just looked at me and she went, Whoa. And she's Ben, what are you doing to yourself? I go, what are you talking about? And she's going, I'm really scared. I'm really afraid that something's going to happen to you. And, you know, who better than to tell you 
what you're becoming than someone who's close to you, right? And that didn't change my mind at all. And um, kept on touring, kept on eating, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then my material started shifting to making jokes um, about situations, to making fat jokes about me. And then when I lost um, 150 pounds, so I'm down 150 pounds from my top weight. And I've recently lost another 10. I'm on a new notch of my belt. And um, I haven't compulsively overeaten or um, threw, threw up in six and a half years. And, um, and um, I know what I had to do is get off the road. And that's what I did. I got off the road and... You know, all my friends are like, what are you doing? It's such a charmed life you got. You know, you only work one hour a day. And, but that's the problem. As you know, that's the problem. Because then you've got 23 hours to kill. So you go to the mall, whatever city or state you're in, or country. You watch movies. You compulsively overeat in the movies. You go back to your suite. You, you order room service. And that was the cycle I had. So when I decided to get off the road, I was always fantasizing about a normal life. You know, I always envied my friends who got to see their houses every day because that meant they didn't have to go away all the time. So, you know, um, switched careers. Um, I created my own position at, uh, it's, it's under a different name now, it's at Airport Marina Hotel. And I walked in, and the guy goes, oh, I, um, I think I saw you on A&E. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, uh, would you like to be our house MC? And I go, yeah, but you have to pay me this. And he goes, well, to pay you that, you have to work here maybe as the entertainment director. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. So it got me off the road, thank God. It got me off the road, and I still kept in ties with my passion. And, um, and then I remember... Um, I was engaged at this time to this person. <laughs> Whenever you speak to this person, you know it didn't end well to this person. <laughs> and um, she was my Eskimo. She got me in OA because she had over 20 years in AA. And so I started going to the program, and I'm like, okay, what's the catch? I'm always like, what's the catch here, right? Okay, everybody's loving everybody. Everybody knows everybody. But what's the catch? Do I have to weigh in? Do I have to count my calories? What? Do I have, you guys want money? What? And then it was just like, you know, give what you can in the basket. Um, and I'm like, okay, so far, so good. No catch. And then they're like, and, you know, higher power in God. I'm like, I knew it. There's a catch. And I just didn't believe in God or a higher power or anything. I was totally, you know, abusive to myself in the respect of, of a spiritual life. And I neglected that. And then I just remember it happened maybe in my first or second year of program in Overeaters Anonymous that I was at a meeting and for some reason I was happy. And I didn't have a Big Mac in my hand, so I know it wasn't food. And, um, and I wasn't in a relationship, so I know it wasn't a woman. 
I felt very full inside and I felt spirituality for the first time and it filled me up it, I felt glowing I felt happy you know I remember walking smiling if you see me you know like if that, who's that guy on meth over there walking and smiling and I was just happy I'm like wow this is what it feels like to have a higher power wow this is what it feels like to believe in God and once I accepted um, to have a, a higher power in God in my life the program got really easy. I didn't have to um, live this life alone. I didn't have to find a woman to make her my higher power. Um, I didn't have to find food to make that my higher power. So I got absent really quick. Um, and I lost the weight. I hit my goal weight and kept it on for years. And then the weirdest thing started happening. I started getting a lot of attention from women. And um, I couldn't handle it. I was a dating machine. And, um, and then um, one day um, I met a person in program. And uh, she and I, we clicked, we fell in love, we got married, we had kids. But the marriage didn't work out after 17 years. But we both had program. And she's a wonderful person in case you're listening you're a wonderful person um, and um, and I can't say I can say so many great things about her it, it didn't have to be drama we said hey we gave it a shot it didn't work out let's make it about the kids and so you know I'm a single dad and I gotta say I love being a parent. I don't know if I would love being a parent with someone else's kids, but these two kids are so much fun. And you ever want to see what a smart ass you are, have kids, and you'll see your little mini-me's. And I'm like, shit, is that what I'm like? Or was like? And um, they're great. And i got to tell you, um, they're wonderful kids. Even though she and I are no longer together, we have a great relationship as friends. We make it about our children. We're, we're great parents to them. I get to see them every weekend. So right out here, I, I go to them. And, you know, um, they do this really weird thing. They love to be saying happy birthday at restaurants when it's not their birthday. <laughs> because they get a free dessert. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, oh God, man, I, should I 12 step them? Or, <laughs> but they're in great shape. They eat a little bit, and you know, but they always do that. So it's always somebody's birthday, and I'm afraid to go to the bathroom when I go out with them to a restaurant because I know if I go, they're going to tell the waiter or waitress, oh, it's his birthday, just so they can get a dessert. <laughs> and every time I go out, I'm like, oh, with them, and I go, okay, whose turn is it? And they both raise their hand and. It's funny, and I'm thinking the waiters and waitresses are starting to catch on because, really, it's your birthday. Again. Wow. Just your birthday three weeks ago. And I'm like, leap year, you know. And um, so they're great kids. They're wonderful. And um, but what happened was... Um, from gaining and losing weight and yo-yoing so many times um, 
that my aorta, and the aorta goes from your heart all the way down to your leg, um, I think towards your ankle or something like that. Just, it's like a giant tooth that just goes down from expanding and retracting, expanding and retracting, from going up to 400 pounds to down to 175 and everywhere in between. I ripped my aorta and I died. Um, and um, that will um, definitely humble you death um, and it will wake you up and I don't know how long I was gone for um, but um, when I woke up the doctors were looking at me in astonishment they're like wow shit you came back and um, it was wild and you know for, for those who believe in spirituality and God and like myself I can tell you this and it was so weird I remember after they, you know, we were doing, uh, that was, there was a priest there to give me last rites. And that will really screw your head, getting last rites. Um, before going in surgery, when they put me out um, for the surgery, I swear to God, I remember looking at myself from up at the ceiling. And then next thing I knew, just everything was white. I don't remember anything after that. It was actually kind of cool, but I don't recommend doing it the way I did it. <laughs> and um, when I woke up, the doctors explained how I died on the table for quite a while. And um, they had to, you know, cut me up. And I have this very unattractive scar that goes from here all the way down to here. And they literally sliced me, broke my chest, cracked me open. Um, and then they just started repairing. I think my first surgery was 11 hours. And then um, I was living at the hospital for three months, you know, because they, they, they said, you know, what I've been through, normally people don't survive that. And um, I had to learn how to walk again because I was laid up for three months. Because every time you would move, you would feel your chest go like that you know, wired and all that. And I'm going to get detailed about it because, you know, if you feel like you can go up and down, up and down like I did, this is what awaits you. And I like to share about it because I don't want anyone else to go through what I went through. It was god-awful painful. I mean, I don't wish this on anybody. And um, I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to do a lot of things. Um, and... Um, and then I went home, and then I had to go, they rushed me back to the hospital because one of my valves, my heart valves, um, suffered from the surgery, and they had to crack me open again, and they had to repair that. I have an artificial heart valve, so if you put your hand here, you'll feel really funky beating, and I can't go to sleep without taking sleep medications because the beating's so fierce that when it beats against the chest bone, my whole body vibrates. So I'm constantly vibrating. And um, it hurts. You know, I mean, I had the surgery about 12 years ago, and I still get nerve-ending pain because I have nerve-ending damages. They had to borrow um, this vein from here and that vein from there to repair up here. It's amazing what the body how it fixes itself and um, survived that 
and um, and then everything happened. All these gifts started happening. Um, the company I had, I had my own company. I had it for 12 years. I was a publisher. Created my own publication. Did phenomenal with it. We were awarded Small Business of the Year for 2011. And all this stuff happened after I survived the surgery. And then um, I was asked to be the main speaker. At, I'm going to hold a sign up to you. Thank you so much for you. Um, um, I was asked to be the main speaker at um, the OA birthday party back then. And um, so many of gifts. And so I look at life today. All these gifts that happen can happen to all of us, but we have to be present. We have to be alive. I mean, if you're dead, that's it, right? Or maybe you come back as something else. I don't know. Um, but now um, I haven't thrown up. Um, I mean, I have, you know, when I'm sick. But I don't put my finger down my throat. Um, I don't compulsively overeat. Um, I'm losing weight a slow, steady pace, a healthy pace because I have to do it that way because of my aorta and um, just taking life today one day at a time and when, once I admitted I was a compulsive overeater everything got easy from there because to deny that means I can go back into the way I did and last night when we had the earthquake um, I was watching TV and I was watching Monty Python's Meaning of Life and, um, you remember that scene where the guy who's big walks in like that he's eating he's doing all this stuff and John Cleese goes would you like a thin mint and he's like oh fuck off <laughs> that was me seriously I come into these buffets I'm like alright $9.99 all you can eat I'm getting $20 worth and and I remember I used to be so mean and bitter and now I'm no longer mean and um, <laughs> I try to really live a spiritual life um, I try to live an abstinent life and be of service as where I can and just do the best I can and I got to say these rooms um, to me saves my life I mean this is my main you know homeroom this is homeroom remember when you would go out and you have all these different classes but you always loved homeroom because all your favorite friends were in that class so this is my homeroom and I get to see the same people all the time here I get to see Adam John Jack um, but these rooms and you people without even knowing and people who I know and don't, don't know but I see your faces here you save my life all the time because I know if you're coming back this is still the right places for me and um, I, I have nothing but gratitude for the life I have today and I think that's all I got anyway so thanks Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so when with anyone of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. 
When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, oh, this is for me, to repeat the question for the um, um, Audible on OA podcast. Okay. Um, yes. Thank you, appreciate it. Um, you talked about this, this moment when you realized uh, that you were filled with this sense of spirituality, but you also said that you had not never believed in that stuff. Did you talk about the transition from one to the other? From not believing in a higher power to believing in a higher power? That's a great question. Um, how I went from that, I think I was just so dead inside. You know, I was just a feeding machine, and I was just living to live until I stopped. But the only thing that made um, perfect sense to me in living was food. And so I was just a shell. I was just totally dead inside. So, of course, I wouldn't believe in anything. But when I came in the program, um, I found fellows here who shared what I experience in what I have as a disease and I start making the group a higher power before I had a higher power and uh, my meetings a higher power before that and um, I just remember one day I just felt an acceptance what happens happens let's give it a shot and um, I just became willing and that's the difference I, I didn't have willingness but I have willingness now and that has helped me in my life today um, to get me where I'm at in a place of where I'm living right now. And I'm not existing, I'm living now. Did, did that help? Yeah, Okay. Um, do you feel at all regret? And if so, how do you like, regret in the past? Oh, God, yeah. I, I regret that I had to die to learn. You know? I regret um, pain. I mean, seriously, it was was excruciating, you know, it was just, um, my major regrets are that and and what I did to my family, you know, I mean, you never think that when you're in disease and eating destructively that how it affects the ones closest to you. It affected my sister, my my mom, my dad, uh, my children when I relapsed. And I gotta say, I'm such a better father now in abstinence. My whole existence is for these two kids. And um, if I would be taken away from these two children because I screwed up again, I would regret that for the here and after. And so I take a very serious responsibility about being a father. And um, I'll get that. Uh, that's low higher power yes thank you Um, um, so yeah yeah okay Jack (laughs) I've heard your actions died way more than once thank you thank you thank you oh they say that that before the alcoholic takes the first drink there's a whole succession of things they did do that they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. that they didn't do that they should have. How do you monitor your feeling like your behaviors, your attitudes that, if unchecked, could lead to the next whatever? How do you, do you take a, a ten step every How do you monitor your behavior and make sure you're not doing things that would lead you ultimately uh, to a public destination? I'm in constant check. 
you know, and my um, my program, how I, I do my program, I have um, three meals a day for one person each meal. Mm-hmm. Not like how I used to eat, like for three people. And I have a moderate snack in between. The snack is not a meal. It's a snack. Just whatever it's supposed to be. And... Um, you know, working hand in hand, not just by myself, but with others. You know, I don't take this on by myself because if I do, that's trouble. So, you know, as I come to the meetings, as I share with my fellows, as I share with my sponsor, um, um, I just realize I can't do this alone. It's, this disease is greater than I am. It's stronger and um, it's very clever and, de- and very deceptive. Thanks. Um, what led to the relapse and how did you get back? What led to the relapse was having children. I was terrified. I was terrified having kids that, I mean, I was out there and I was breeding. It was scary. <laughs> and um, when I was, there's little miniature me's running around and these two children, I just, you know, I started having um flashes of my parents, what they did good, what they did bad, and I was afraid I would do the bad stuff. You know, they weren't horrible parents, they just didn't know either. They did the best they could and they did an okay job. They did a pretty good a pretty good job. And so when I go into the baby classes, the birthing classes, all that stuff um, really led to my relapse because I couldn't handle it. I was just mentally, emotionally uh, scared out of my brains Uh, but then when the baby's born and you're holding it for the first time and it looks up at you and the little little chubby little fingers are grabbing at your mouth I just realized you know I'm afraid of you you know you're so tiny it's a little shit machine and I'm afraid (laughs) and and I just fell in love I fell in love and um yeah, that's what led. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Ben, for sharing your experience, strength, hope, joy, laughter, comedy. And um, has your thinking changed? For, is there a difference between your thinking pre-operation, surgery, etc., and after? And if so, in what way? How, how, I'm sorry, I'm to repeat the question. So how has my uh, thinking changed before surgery and now? Um, I, no exaggeration, to stay healthy and to stay alive, I have to take a lot of medication. A lot of medication. And if you guys would just try one of these pills, you would think you're in Disneyland. And, you know, of course, my body and my mind has adjusted to the pills, but I have to take at least, no exaggeration, 21 pills a day. Wow. Yeah, and I have one of those calendar weekly boxes where you put, you know, morning, afternoon, you know, and midnight, and I have to take all these medications a day. I have pills on me from my heart. And um, a lot of times um, when I, I still get a lot of major pain I have to take nitro you know and um, 
man, nitro gives you a massive migraine. Uh, at least it does for me. Um, so I got a lot of stuff I have to take just to stay out, walking on two feet. So, yeah, no picnic. It's more a follow-up question, perhaps I wasn't clear. How is your thinking about program and your purpose and what you do change? How is my thinking of program and purpose have changed? Um, they change how Oh, they, they change dramatically. Um, I know I have to show up to meetings when I don't want to show up. Um, that's why I've taken commitments before um, to make myself show up. Um, I, I know I can't do this by myself. I'm powerless by myself. But I find strength in these rooms. Did that? Yeah. Thank you. Adam. Thanks for your share. Um, was there anything in step four or six or seven a character defect that you love too much you just didn't want to let go of them or willing to or, or how did you become willing to let go of How did I become willing to let go of a defect? Um, I think my defect is that I can eat like others and I know I can't. Last night I, I shared briefly, you know, when we had the earthquake and right after I saw Monty Python of that scene I was bored. And so what happened, my disease took over, walked to the kitchen, looked at the kitchen, opened the refrigerator, even though I wasn't hungry, I was just looking. And then the earthquake happened, and then I'm like, okay, got it, higher power. <laughs> Close the refrigerator door. And, um, yeah, that's, that's my thing. You know, I'm still a compulsive overeater. I still qualify to be in these rooms. Even surviving death, I still have lessons to learn and to abide by. Hmm. Nikki. Thank you, Ed, so much for your share. Always good to hear you. Practicing these principles in all our affairs, can you talk a little bit about practicing these principles in your professional and creative endeavors and how things have changed for you or not? Um, how have things changed in my professional career um, with these new endeavors, right? Yeah, professional and creative. Professional and creative. I, I don't do gigs like I used to anymore. I'll do them like once in a blue moon, you know, if I get a call and stuff like that. Um, but I know better not to uh, show up, you know, and expect what they're going to give me is I can have. So I have my meal prepared, and sometimes I bring it with me. And um, sorry, I just had a flashback of a, of a thing. Um, I'll share it. Um, I remember this one time I was um, I was in Vegas doing a show. The middle act um, was winding up their set, and I know who's last joke. And I was eating backstage, and then he goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, Ben." And I'm still eating. <laughs> and um, Ben. And I was more into the food than that sold-out show. And, and I'm like, go long. You know, <laughs> do more time. Which you always love to hear um, when you finish your act. Um, and that happened once. But now before I go, and even when I'm in my professional career, that it's not stand-up comedy or... When I'm seeing friends, I, I ask them what are we having, you know, to make sure it's on my food plan. And if it's not, I, I can eat in restaurants. That's the cool thing. My my program is portable. And I'm I'm when if you ever saw when Harry met Sally, I'm Sally now. And I say, okay, I'll get the 
Chinese chicken salad, but no fried stuff. I'll have the chicken, but can I get the dressing on the side? And that's who I am, so I'm taking care of myself today. And, yeah, I'm a big headache in restaurants, but I compensate by tipping well to make up for it. But I have to take care of myself. Did that help? Okay, thanks. Hello, me. Thank you so much. So good to hear your story. Thanks. How do you, so you mentioned before you got abstinent, you were mean and bitter. Mm. <laughs> you said after, you're not mean anymore. <laughs> so my question is, you know, something we all struggle with, how do you deal with when the bitter feelings do arise, especially considering what you went through medically and what you still have to go through on a daily basis, does it sometimes affect your feelings? Um, yeah, I have so much regret. I mean, when I get attacks, I still get attacks to this day. Um, I might stand up and I get really dizzy. Um, there's a side effect because I'm taking so many pills that I get, um, um, and I forgot the name of that term, um, but I get this very dizzy and I have to take uh, um, meclizine for it. And um, sometimes if I stand up, I just have to kind of wait a few minutes and um, I'm on so much stuff. And... Um, I'm bitter about that. I'm, I'm grateful to be alive, but this is so much a harder road for me. And I, I, I don't want any of you guys to go through that. You know, I really don't. I kind of feel like I bummed the room out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Hi. So in January, I had a triple life. And um, when you said that you went through it twice, I just guessed because I can't imagine going through that again. And at the same time, it's really hard for me to come back here. And um, so I can't sit here thinking, so what's your question? What's your question? What's your question? You know, even facing the fact that I could have to go through another one, it still didn't cure me. And I think I guess the question is how can I keep coming back? I've been around here for four years and I can't keep coming back consistently. Do you have to? You have to keep coming back. Because they say you might have another operation. Might. So you might not eat it too. You might have to go three more if you keep doing what you're doing, you know. You have to get absent, you have to come to these rooms. Do you have a sponsor? Get a sponsor. There's so many people here today who have gifts to share, and you do not have to do it alone. I survived this, you can survive it, but you don't have to go through this again. I, I understand what you're going through. It sucks, it's scary. <laughs> But you don't have to. Remember, you have all power. You to decide if you want to be abstinent. You decide if you don't want to have that other surgery. Because you probably won't need it, but you probably will. They said might. Let's go with a half glass filled here. Okay? Yes? Um, thanks for your share, Ben. Uh, I have kind of two questions, but they're related. Um, one is knowing that you could you could have more health problems like that. I assume that you feel some anxiety around that. 
Um, so I'm wondering how you deal with the anxiety around that, and and related, if you have loved ones who just aren't taking care of themselves, and you you know you can't afford a horse to drink water, but how do you how do you handle those those sadness or anxiety around your your loved ones who maybe aren't taking care of themselves, and you're afraid for them to take? They're taking care of themselves. They are. Even though my kids love desserts, they're kids. They're just being kids, you know? And what's really cool is that when we go out to eat and they're done, they have a lot of food left. And um, they, they, caught, they caught this thing from me. Um, they see me do this a lot. Whenever I get food to go, um, I always make it a point because this is so sad in our in our generation now that we live in, wherever you go, you're going to see a homeless person on the street. And my kids, they get their stuff to go and they give it to a homeless person. I'm so proud of them. You know? They, they saw that stuff that I do, and I don't do it all the time, and neither do they. Sometimes they take it home, but they're just being kids. And, you know, not everybody needs to be 12-stepped. Um, but do you have like friends that you that you can recognize for setting themselves up for some medical issues? No, no, not really. You know, all my friends are in pretty good shape and have healthy lives. Uh, so I didn't help on that one. Yeah. You talked about slow progress and hearing you describe those like you know, dramatic shifts in your weight. I was wondering if, uh, if there's anything you do to kind of, you know, ward off that feeling of wanting to go fast and hard, you know, and, and cultivate that inner patience of like just kind of going slow. I have to go slow because if I do it fast, I could leak inside um, with the aorta and stuff. Um, they shot me up with a uh, uh, blood pellets um, they stitch my aorta it's stitched you know and um, I realize I can't fuck around anymore I have to take it serious yes <laughs> oh, I, you, know, you know what? Um, that, that's a great question. And it's funny. Um, there was an old Mel Gibson movie. And he was thinking about this girl. And um, he couldn't sleep because he was thinking about her. He opens the refrigerator and he goes, oh, she's not in there. And closes it. <laughs> Same thing, you know. Um, my answer is not in there. I'll look. I mean, damn, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic with food. You know? I'll look. I can't deny that. But it doesn't mean I have to act on it. And uh, thank you all for being a service.